0: Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker, and today I am holding it down solo. My partner in crime, Daryl dangerous Harrison or maybe we should call him Daryl Hollywood Harrison right or or maybe just maybe we should just go by the moniker that he's given himself which is Tom right just Tom he said just call him Tom <laughs> now if you if you're listening to this for the first time you might think did he just call that brother Tom I did and what you'd have to do in an effort to understand why I called my brother Daryl. Tom, is you have to go back and listen to our previous episode uh, uh, on the Avengers Endgame. It's the episode that just preceded this one. The reason that you'd have to go back and listen to that is because Daryl engaged in kind of a little bit of a, of a of a Twitter. Really, I can't even say he engaged in. He was called out uh, in a in a Twitter exchange where again. If you hold a conservative view, a conservative position, conservative ideals, right, especially social political, but even from a standpoint of social justice, uh, if you hold a, a conservative view of the gospel, uh, and, uh, rather than this idea that, that justice needs, needs something in front of it like the word social, Um, that God's justice needs something added to it, that the justice that was demonstrated in the cross of Christ by God who poured out his wrath upon his son, uh, that there's something more in an effort to atone for the sins of of at least white people, then you would understand why I'm addressing the issue in the way I am. It's because when, when you hold a more orthodox position, those who oppose you have a tendency to call you all kinds of pejoratives. Uh, Daryl and I have been called all kinds of things, all kind, and, and Daryl definitely much more than I have. But uh, we decided, with all the different names that 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 uh, that we get called, uh, Daryl in particular, that uh, we would just we, we would just embrace it. You know, we've been called Uncle Tom, and you know, and coon, and I mean, all kinds of things. So we just thought, you know, we'll we'll embrace it. I uh, would we'll just call, Daryl said, just call me Tom. And so with that said, he, he is out this week. Uh, he is traveling and I'll let him explain where he's been and what he's doing uh, once he returns. With that said, I have every intention of doing my best to deliver what you've come to expect on the Just Thinking uh, broadcast. Now, early on when we began this show, Daryl used to talk about how we'd put the show together. And what it took uh, for us to do that in the way of study and preparation. And as time has passed, we've come to recognize the importance of writing things down to ensure that what we say is accurate, researched uh, and on point. Now, Daryl, I have to be honest, he is masterful at putting together show notes. I, on the other hand, have a tendency to use bullet points, right? You could tell the difference between me with the bullet points and Daryl with the very affixed, you know, thought out, uh, researched way of, of delivery, uh, but it's with that. My hope in this show in particular is while I definitely intend to give you the same quality, I, I want to do things a little bit differently, a little bit off the beaten path, so to speak, in that I will definitely want to give you the researched intel of what we'll talk about topically. But I just want to have a conversation uh, with you, the listener. In, in kind of the same way that I would Daryl uh, if he and I were offline uh, and you know maybe prior to the show beginning and he and I were just talking. My thought was to put it together in that way just so that we could have a dialogue about some of these things that are important. Uh, we're going to be talking about the issue of abortion, but I want to navigate my way there to give you a little bit of background about how, how I got to that point, how I uh, was got involved in uh, being in uh, at, at, at an abortion clinic uh, in ministry in that kind of a space and what that looks like. I, I want to talk about some of the current issues of the day surrounding that because man this week was filled with a ton of information and things that were happening uh, with regard to the issue of abortion. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but again, I want this to be a little bit more conversational. Uh, and and I'll just kind of flow from that standpoint. And one of the things that I did notice, speaking of just being conversation, one of the things I did notice when, when I go back and listen to our shows is that I'm often uh, caught in mid-sentence, believing that I've made a particular point when in real life the point that that I was making was only made in my head and never really translated to what I said on air. Now, that often happens because I'm extremely excited about something Daryl has just said. Uh, I, that's when we end up getting those Hammond B3 moments, right? Uh, those of you who've been with the show uh, are probably, some of you are being exposed to an aspect of, of maybe black culture or at least black church culture that you had never experienced before. Uh, in the black church, when a preacher is making a point, uh, they'll tune up on that good old Hammond B3, right, that organ, and, and, uh, and, and maybe give you a couple of, couple of notes, a couple of hits. And so I kind of come from that, that wing, so to speak, and as Daryl is really articulating a point, uh, a, a, an in-depth, well-researched theological point, it might be even a quote from, from a Puritan. Uh, man something in me will just rise up and I'll start talking kind of extemporaneously off the fly thinking that I've said something that I didn't actually uh, get out because I said it in my head rather than saying it uh, on the air so I'm going to I'm going to effort uh, to make sure that everything that I share with you during our time together is clearly thought through uh, and clearly expressed Now, for this particular show, I did spend a little bit more time putting things down on paper uh, rather than kind of the more fluid way that I go about maybe a bullet point and just kind of kind of hitting things like I would when when Daryl allows me to engage. And so while while Daryl is out this week, this has been an incredible week. For me and and I, I i only think to mention a few things as we engage in in teeing up tonight's discussion and one is that uh that this is this is mother's Day weekend as I record this episode uh and I, while, I, while I hate to date stamp or time stamp any particular episode, I think it's important to mention uh it's important to mention because as a as a part of the subject matter we're going to cover. It has an increased significance in light of the particular holiday, so I also know that we have a number of listeners from foreign countries so i 'll briefly explain that this weekend is a is a holiday weekend here in the states where on Sunday in particular, we spend the day honoring mothers for their contributions in our lives and and I hope all mothers, even those soon to be moms, those expecting babies, had a wonderful uh, mother 's day weekend so as I mentioned. Uh, this weekend was busy, uh, and as I prepared our home uh, to honor my wife, uh, my kid's mom, uh, here at the Walker household, uh, this, this was really an, an, an incredible weekend. We kind of went into it with uh, my daughter, whose name is Princess. Uh, she helped me uh, get ready for mom. She knew the kinds of things that mom would enjoy, and so she helped me put together uh, what we would give to mom for Mother's Day. We had, a, we had a wonderful Sunday morning celebration. It was really, really kind of a good time. This was something that we prepared midweek or so. So on Friday, on the, on, on the Friday before Mother's Day uh, weekend, I went out to do some street evangelism. Uh, On Friday, like many who who work at a church, my weekend starts on Friday. So we work at our church. We work uh, Sunday through Thursday. That's kind of our five-day. We have Friday and Saturday off. So on Friday, I usually look for opportunities to go out and share the gospel. Uh, I think it's important for those of us who do uh, work in ministry or pastor or what have you not to simply see what we do inside the four walls of the church As as ministry, but to see opportunities outside of the four walls as as a as an obligation that we have as believers in Christ to go and share the gospel. And so on Fridays, man, I I enjoy going out and uh, and and I do street evangelism. And it's, it's an absolute blast. So on my day off, I look for opportunities like that to, to go out on the street. It's kind of one of the fun things that, that I get to do. Street evangelism, it takes, it takes on a few forms, right? First, you've got street, kind of the street sign evangelism uh, or street sign evangelist, where you'll take a, a sign with a gospel message on it. Uh, maybe you'll take some gospel tracks out and head to a busy intersection in town uh the particular intersection that i like to go to when i've got these signs and, and some gospel tracks um, and it's a great space it's one of the busiest intersections in our town and uh, of course i live in omaha as those of you who listen to the show know it's an it's an intersection where in addition to pedestrian traffic it has like four different bus stops of pickup and drop off where people are kind of Coming and going uh, all at the same time in addition it's a it's a location where there are a number of people walking from place to place for lunch or for you know any variety of other businesses that are in the area so doing street evangelism it's a wonderful way to engage the culture you never know what you're going to have the opportunity to 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 come up on who's going to stop who's going to talk to you and and for me, I enjoy it because it's a way of kind of keeping me on my toes uh, as I look for ways to transition from whatever we were talking about or maybe a question on a, on a sign that I'm holding to an, an, an aspect of gospel conversation where we're really engaged in, in proclaiming the gospel to someone. Now, with street sign evangelism, I mean, there's, there, there's that, but there's also uh, what you might call street preaching. Right, and you guys have seen these folks who are who may be proclaiming the gospel uh, out loud, or who may be sharing the truth or the message of the gospel, maybe reading uh, scripture, uh, where you use your voice or some form of amplification to proclaim the gospel. Now, I, I enjoy both types uh, of of gospel of, of street evangelism. I absolutely enjoy both types, but I think the question that I'm most often asked about this practice is how effective is this really? How effective is what you're doing? You're out, you're, you're preaching the gospel, you're, you're sharing the truth, or maybe you've got a sign. As people drive by, they see your sign and, and wave. How effective is that really? And, and to this question, I've got maybe a couple of responses. One is that I, I believe it to be effective for the mere fact that I'm I'm going out and being obedient to proclaim the gospel, right, where I live. I, I'm responsible for the gospel's proclamation. God himself is responsible for the outcome in the heart of any individual, right? So so I, I'm being effective in that I'm going and obeying what the gospel says that we are to do, which is to go, uh, with, with the word of God rather says we are to do, which is to go and proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, right? So that's what I'm efforting uh, to do. The second thing that I would say is it's is that it is effective in that God will use his word uh, to work in the heart of, of anyone, whether it's to harden that heart or to soften that heart. Uh, I've heard it said that sunlight can be used either to harden clay or to provide the pro- the appropriate nutrients necessary for fertile soil to grow. Right to grow the seed that's been that's been dropped in the into that soil, and the same is true with the proclamation of of the gospel. Right, I, I recognize that that in some of those spaces, street preachers, street evangelists can get a bad rap. Right, there's some who, who are out there doing the wrong thing. They're they're bad, you know, bad preachers, poor uh, poor uh, street preachers. But in the same way, they're a bad and poor pulpit preachers right so this is this is not an issue of the venue uh but it is an issue of whether or not the truth is being preached and 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 the manner in which it's being preached i'd, I'd prefer to even say the heart by which it's it's being preached right Anyway, I had a great time doing open air preaching uh, with those who came by. Uh, I always tell people when i 'm there because uh, I try to st- I try to be at the same spot so that anyone who saw me on a particular day can find me in the same place when they come and look right so on That was on Friday on Saturday, I thought it was important for me to go to the abortion clinic, which kind of leads me to where i 'm trying to trying to take things tonight because this was kind of the heartbeat of of where I wanted to go, I, I I thought it was important to get to the abortion clinic on Saturday and uh, and and to and to see and experience what was happening in that space. Now I've been involved uh, in some in some way with gospel proclamation at an abortion clinic for approximately the last six to seven years. Now I went this particular Saturday for two reasons. I had two thoughts in mind. The first was after kind of a five-month hiatus. It's been about five months since I'd been out there. And, And I usually try to go one weekend per month. I just thought it was long overdue. I had to get out there. And given that this weekend was Mother's Day weekend... I thought it was especially important to be there with the goal of, of seeing someone uh, not commit an act of murder on their child this weekend. Right. M- my second thought was I, I knew I knew that I would be discussing the topic of abortion uh, on our show. And I just I thought it was time for me to just get some fresh eyes on the issue rather than just reading to you articles. That I'll cover during our time together so I I just wanted to to get out I thought it was would be good for me to be back in that space unpacking what was happening there experiencing it kind of firsthand uh, and having some fresh eyes as we as we had our discussion on this particular topic so rather than giving you a historical background regarding my decision uh, to minister at at abortion clinics I'll simply say that other other than the grace of God stirring my heart on this issue about seven years ago it, it was the ministry of tony Miano. uh if, if, you, if you know tony tony Miano, uh he's a retired uh 20-year veteran of the los angeles county sheriff's department now he turned street evangelist years ago uh, he's the founder of of cross encounters ministries uh, i i got a chance to watch him on video long long time ago seven years ago uh, and that would be the catalyst to push me off the couch and into my local Planned Parenthood uh, out on the street corner. What's interesting is, is that it was Tony's posting of his encounters on video that caught my attention. Not only was he bold regarding the truth, he was gentle and loving as he engaged his neighbor. Now unlike some who desire to get out and do street evangelism uh, or, or abortion clinic ministry for clicks on a YouTube page. Tony demonstrated in his videos a love for neighbor and an understanding that apart from God's grace, we would all do desperately wicked things. And and that was the thing that struck me most when I watched his videos. In his videos, he often admitted his own formerly depraved life as he expressed the power of God's ability to change a sin-stained heart. And, And I was moved. At times as I watched the video, I was, I'd be moved to the point of tears as I watched him and listened to him minister the gospel with great grace, with incredible patience and powerful love. It was amazing to witness. Most recently, I watched a video of Tony delivering a message in front of the Iowa City Council. It was regarding the issue of abortion. And as in typical Tony fashion, his message did not finish without gospel proclamation. I, I would encourage you, if you can, to check out the video. It's on Tony's Facebook page. And uh, if you get the opportunity, check it out. Take the time to watch it. Again, my goal in mentioning Tony is not to, not to lift up a man uh, in particular. I, I think Tony would be the first to say, don't lift me up in any way, shape or form, but to amplify the power of God in using him to move me into action uh, without Tony or I ever having had at that point the opportunity to meet one another. My meeting with Tony live would happen though it wouldn't happen until almost almost three to four years into me being involved in abortion clinic ministry. Uh, I met Tony for the first time at a g three conference. One of the most striking things after watching his video was that I, I thought, I, I, you know, upon meeting him, so I'm watching his videos, I get a chance to meet him for the first time, and I was shocked, and I think the thing that shocked me first was I, I thought, having watched probably hundreds of hours of, of video, I really thought that Tony was six feet tall, <laughs> mainly because of his big commanding voice and the boldness with which he expressed the gospel. I was shocked to learn that we almost stood eye to eye, and see, I'm five foot six, and so I, I'm thinking Tony's got to be five eight. I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but but he's not much much taller than I. So I was shocked that that we both uh, both are short guys. Uh, it was a quick and honest reminder that powerful things can definitely come in small packages. I, I had a chance at that time to thank him for his ministry, and and I was blown away. Uh, by his humility, and by his grace. Now, Tony, who's now a resident in Iowa rather than California, uh, he had had invited me to come minister with him uh, if the opportunity presented. And of course, when I got this invite, I could not wait for the chance. So I took him up on his offer in the following summer. So G3 would be in January. So that summer, uh, I would, I would Take uh, an opportunity to go down and meet with him, uh, and uh, and engage in street evangelism firsthand. And I I have to tell you, I learned more in our time together than I had in a year of evangelism on my own. He's such an incredible blessing to the body of Christ. One of the most difficult places to minister, though, and, and. Tony Tony took us to uh, the, the location where he was the abortion clinic it the most difficult places to minister rather is is the abortion clinic as I knew uh, that I was headed there this week I also began to to watch some interesting things unfold in the news so I'm, I'm thinking hey I'm head of the abortion clinic I wonder what's happening uh, in the news. And as I did, I, I noticed a few things, and some of you may have seen this on video. This week, uh, like you, I, I was blown away by uh, Representative Brian K. Sims, right? Brian K. Sims. He's out of, out of uh, Philadelphia, right? Pennsylvania. He, he is an advocate, uh, a pro-choice advocate, who, who's harassed what looked to me to be an older woman who was praying in front of an abortion clinic. And his second video shows him trying to kind of dox some teens outside of the same abortion clinic. And by dox, I simply mean he's he's telling he's videotaping these people and telling others that if they can identify anybody in the video, he's going to give them a you know, hundred dollars. Now, who who is Brian Sims? For those who missed it, Brian K. Sims is a is a Democratic member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. He's in in the 182nd district, elected in 2012. Sims is also a lawyer and an activist for, for on LGBTQ civil rights. Sims is the first openly gay elected state legislator in pennsylvania history and he won re-election in Nove- on november 6th of 2018 now sims who lives in philadelphia he videos himself berating a woman uh, and the news article would say that the woman was quote-unquote demonstrating right now I- i'll get into that shortly but sims videotapes himself berating this woman uh, and sims in the video says that he's following the woman Sims, he's, he's following this woman uh, who obviously doesn't want to be filmed. And here's what he says, quote, shame on you. What you're doing here is disgusting. This is wrong. You have no business being out here, end quote. Now, now this woman says little in response to Sims attack uh, on her. And, and he begins to protest her, calling her racist. He refers to her in this video, you know, as as, as this white woman who's a racist. Now, keep in mind, she's there with, you know, where a place where, historically speaking, 33% of black babies are aborted at the abortion. Mill. We represent 12% of the population, but 33% of the abortions are happening in the black community there's there's a black genocide taking place in some places on the east coast right as more black babies are being aborted than are being born right in states like new york but he's calling this white woman who's efforting to keep that from happening racist let that let that swirl around in your brain for just a second for its lack of logic right she eventually says, "You know, get this, get get your uh, get get the, get your camera out of my face." Uh, she tells Sims after about four minutes of his berating and conf- confrontation. At one point, she takes out a rosary from her bag and and clutches it. So let me explain a little something to you about about uh, about being outside of an abortion clinic. First, most often when we're there, you'll notice that there's there are often more Roman Catholics out there than there are Protestants. I'd love to tell you that there are you know, tons of Protestants out there, but there just, just aren't. And we can discuss the importance of gospel proclamation in that space, uh, and, and indeed we could even talk about who's clear on the issue of the gospel. I'll save that for another time. I, I only mentioned the Catholicism there because the article that I referenced talked about the fact that she was, she was you know holding on to, to a rosary. While most Catholics who are out there uh, man, they're, they're they're out there they are Catholic they they're friends of ours. they go to these places primarily to pray, primarily to pray. So again, I mentioned that in an effort to tell you that when it comes to the issue of quote unquote protest, as the news kind of explained it, this was by far the most peaceful and silent protest that anyone will ever <laughs> encounter. These people are praying right? Um, again, most of the time when you're out there, they're they're praying through the rosary. While I don't believe that to be effective, I I also recognize that these people, for the most part, are are there quietly, are there peacefully, and are not there to berate others. In fact, I, I wish more of them would say something to the women who come there. Uh, while I was where I was, we, there, there was, there were some, some Catholic friends who were there. There were some Protestant brothers who were there and, and there are some who are bold enough to, to speak out to the ladies who are, who are coming and going. Uh, but for the most part, this lady reminded me of the type who was probably simply there to offer prayer and to go home. And so for her to, to be kind of hit, uh, by this, by this, uh, kind of bullying tactic, was unfortunate. So, so for Representative Sims to run up on her like he did, it was kind of unbelievable. I only wish that he would have run up on someone like a Tony, like a Tony Miano, or or myself. You know, me with his camera. He w- he would have been in store for something much more serious. And in fact, we would have really had a great opportunity to declare and proclaim the gospel as a result of his efforts. But since this event took place. I'm aware that that a, that a pro life event led by Matt Walsh of Daily Wire and Live Action uh, took place at the same location just days later, uh, and, and I'm glad that they did the event. Uh, and I hope my hope is, oftentimes there's these kind of one and done types of experiences with those events. In other words, folks get excited, they they show up, they're they're uh, they're engaged because maybe thirty, fifty, a hundred people are there. But the week after, nobody's there, right? And so I'm, I'm appreciative of, of the one-time events, but I'm hopeful that it stirred some hearts that they would be there for for a, a longer period of time. I, hope it, I just hope it inspires more people to be there long after the cameras are gone. Now, this week as well, Georgia, the, 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 uh, the state of, of Georgia, uh, enacted what, what's been commonly referred to as the heartbeat bill or the fetal heartbeat abortion law. Now, officially, it's HB 481, the Living Infants Fairness and Equality, which is, you know, stands for LIFE, the LIFE Act. Uh, LIFE Act stands for Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act. Uh, It was Governor Brian Kent of Georgia. He signed what some believe to be the, quote, most restrictive abortion law into the nation, end quote. Now this happened on Tuesday, and what it did was it effectively banned abortions after six weeks of pregnancy when doctors can usually start detecting a fetal heartbeat now Georgia is one of the is is, is i believe it to be the fourth or fifth state that has enacted such a heartbeat law this year, and like other states, it's expected to face swift legal a swift legal challenge uh, which supporters are hoping that it will lead to a reevaluation by the United States Supreme Court of the landmark uh, you know, Roe v. Wade ruling that made abortion legal nationwide. Now, this bill actually extends the rights of personhood uh, to include an unborn child. Now, to be clear, personhood is not a, a scientific term. Uh, as someone who advocates, I advocate for the abolition of abortion. Uh, I, I prefer to see Arguments of personhood, which which actually is a term that refers to value. I'd rather, if we're going to use that term, I'd rather see that term extended to the scientific definition of human, right? Human, a human being. Daryl and I always talk about this particular issue on the show, and and it is this that whenever you begin using uh, terminology. That are outside of the biblical framework you run into problems in the culture i'll explain a little bit about what i mean here in just a moment but let me let me further amplify that by saying when whenever you use definitions that uh in in an effort to to apply value on someone that are that are extra biblical you i think you 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 open yourself up to what the secular culture can do to to begin messing around with that word, um, let me give you let me give you uh, let me explain biblically what I mean. In Genesis chapter one twenty seven, right, you have value being placed on on human on a human being, Adam, who is created in the image of God, Genesis one twenty seven, and and this the value the the value of him as an image bearer of God is not a philosophical value. It's an intrinsic value as a result of the fact that God gave him value as an image bearer above anything else in all creation right we see this we see this in in psalm one thirty nine verses thirteen through sixteen which I'll read from the e s v the elect standard version while Daryl is out so let me let me get this text of scripture in. It says this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. you, My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. The, the beauty of this is that the value of worth being fearfully, wonderfully made in the mother's womb, being knitted together in the inward part. The value is being placed on the human being created in the image of God rather than value of personhood, which again, the culture will begin to use as a sliding rule for when it can be applied. Let me, let me say this In, in With regard to this, the the heartbeat bill, right, what you have in that is a situation where now six weeks later we've attached value to a person, to a human, uh, based upon the fact that we as human beings have identified a heartbeat rather than placing value on an image of God, one who bears the image of God when life begins at conception as one who is a human being. I think that's the difference, right? Now, I recognize the argument for many will be that we can't always use biblical definitions in secular culture. My point is that when we do not, we abandon biblical framing for definitions. We, 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 find, we will find ourselves swimming against the grain. Working on, we'll be working on half measured solutions in an effort to achieve a goal. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm excited for the heartbeat bill, and I hope it saves the lives of many babies at the six week stage of development. I I just think we might be abandoning all of those babies that are born prior to six weeks who will still be murdered in the womb because we've decided that life begins, or rather, value, i.e., personhood should be ascribed only at the six-week point when the heartbeat is heard. That's just something to think about even as we celebrate what we believe to be a win on this issue. Let me say one more thing. The the, the left does not do this. What do I mean? The left has an all-or-nothing agenda. And we find their positions at times to be so crazy that no one believes that it will pass. I mean, this is, this seems implausible. It seems preposterous, right? But it goes from being preposterous where they, they hit us in the head with their preposterous idea over and over and over again that what begins to be preposterous now seems plausible. And then what seems plausible begins to seem probable. And before we know it, that which is probable becomes policy. So we've gone from that which sounded preposterous to becoming plausible, to becoming probable, to becoming policy. And that's how the left begins to do things. We've got to think about that in terms of definition, in terms of how we frame the arguments. In terms of what we stand on, when we 're trying to advocate for humanity, for life, and i 've been talking with a number of people this week about about abandoning a cotton candy Christianity that seeks to go along and to get along we've we 've lost that fight. We no longer have that luxury. We have never been promised as Christians that we would be better off uh, for going along and getting along. With the culture, right? So these half-baked measures, in an effort to appease the culture, so that they won't think us to be too radical in our beliefs, is really, it's really empty. It's really, I mean, it's really vacant. We've got to. I believe we need to rethink those kinds of those kinds of ideas. Christianity has never promised us uh, a comfortable Christian coexistence with the culture, right? Christianity has never promised us a comfortable coexistence with the culture christianity has never promised us a better life what have we been promised we've been promised persecution jesus would say it this way he said i have told you these things so that you so that you may have peace but in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world john sixteen thirty three. How about John 15 20? Remember the word that I've said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It's funny because I really believe that in this current culture, we've accepted the idea in America uh, as a quote unquote Christian nation That uh, that 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 we need to figure out a way to find this middle ground, to find this place where we all can 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 experience kind of Rodney King theology. Let's just get along. And uh, that's not what we've been promised according to Scripture. Right. Now, again, I'm not saying that we need to go and, and and be violent in any way. I'm not advocating that in any way, shape or form. But but I am saying that, man, we've we've got to begin holding the biblical truths uh, with, with much more tenacity than we have uh, in the past. Now, I, I know we're working within the rules, right? We're, we're trying to work within the laws that have been given. However, I also believe that we may be prolonging aspects of abortion from a legal aspect when we advocate less for less than complete measures to rid ourselves of this despicable practice. Again, as an example, the heartbeat bill, what we're saying is inadvertently that life happens when we can perceive a heartbeat. Scientifically, that's inaccurate. Any embryologist will tell you that human life, that life rather human life takes place at the point of conception when that egg meets the sperm. The idea of personhood is again, has been brought into our consciousness to establish a value And by using that philosophical language, we've moved the goalpost from God's position of value to that which is is human, right? We've got to think about those things. Most of these fetal heartbeat bills, though, however, will be challenged in the courts. Now, before we get excited that we have a Republican-appointed majority in the Supreme Court, uh, we need to recognize that Roe v. Wade, uh, that decision, it was actually supported uh, by five Republican-appointed judges. So while I do hope for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, I do not place my hope in the Supreme Court, which down through history has given us some of the most horrific decisions, much like what we currently endure with regard to the issue of abortion. In fact, there are a number of states that have placed heartbeat bills on the books only to have the governor of the state veto the bill, claiming it to be unconstitutional. I think that's exactly what happened in Iowa recently now does this mean that we should stop trying absolutely not I think it's important to wage war uh, on every battlefront possible as we recognize God's sovereignty in this battle but that leads me back to where I want to kind of land the plane regarding this issue as I put this show together, as usual, I did a great deal of research on the on the the uh, the Georgia heartbeat bill. Uh, the I studied the issues that surround the exemptions in that bill with regard to rape, which is a whole nother discussion altogether. I looked at statements from people like AOC and uh, different people out of Hollywood, and and I and I could have examined each of their positions and walked you through the false the falsehood in their logic the inconsistencies of their positions however I then thought what could I do on our show what could I give you on this particular show uh, that would be a little bit different that that was different from just a a point click kind of a a point by point blow a breakdown of each of the arguments and how the how, how we're to make our arguments and frame those up and as, as I spent time at the abortion clinic, I thought about bringing you kind of some of my thoughts while I was on the front line, so to speak. As I interacted with, with some of these people who were about to murder their babies on Mother's Day weekend, I thought if, if I could bring back a little bit of what I experienced out there to you, uh, I would do so in this way. So I, I wrote down just a couple of, of, of thoughts as I was out there, as I, as I left there rather got back in my car, kind of jotted down some things. And I thought as I, as I would sit here with you that I would just give you what was going through my head as different things were happening. Right, So I, I got out there. It was early in the morning. It's about 7 in the morning. I know that the workers are arriving about that time and that the ladies are, will begin showing up about 7.30. So as I'm headed to this clinic in my city, um, it's a Bellevue abortion clinic. As I'm headed to this clinic in my city, every single time I drive to this clinic, my stomach turns inside out. I just, I have to be honest. And I have to pray in an effort to remember that I'm not responsible for the result here. I'm not responsible for the result here. God is. God is the one who is completely sovereign he's completely in control and that the sick feeling that i have in the pit of my stomach um it's real it's there um it's it's it re, it's a reminder of the importance of what's happening that babies are being murdered and that mothers are are walking or driving or being dropped off at a clinic where within a matter of 30 seconds between the time they leave the door of their car to the time at which they get to the door at the entrance of the clinic, that's the short window of time that I and others have to say something in the hope that God would use it to change their mind, to turn their heart from the wicked thing that they're about to do uh, in an effort to to see salvation, right, to experience salvation of not only their souls through gospel proclamation, but of their child's life. That's kind of what's happening. As I'm there, and I watch the workers walk in, I'm 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 thinking prayerfully. I'm praying. If I have the opportunity, I'll engage them. I'll tell them that that this is not a place that is going to be helpful on their resume. Right. The longer that they stay working at that place, the longer that they that they have the job history at that place and they try to go somewhere else to work. People are going to look at them very differently and it could be problematic for them. So I'll share that with them. Not only that that, but that they need to repent because they will answer to a holy God for the actions that their hands have found themselves doing. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. But that there is forgiveness through Christ, that they'll repent, if they'll turn from that place, that God will forgive them. And indeed, we have help for them. Um, So that's kind of what I'm thinking. I was I was blown away while I sat. This is another another thing I wrote down. I was blown away as each car drove into the parking lot. I was blown away by this because these weren't poor people. The people who were driving into the parking lot. There were thirty thousand dollar vehicles. There were fifty thousand dollar trucks. There was a there was a BMW that drove a, a, a an SUV, a BMW SUV that drove into the parking lot. So for all of the stories that you hear about these women who are just down on their luck and can't afford uh, to take care of their child, that that just was not the reality of what I saw that day at the abortion clinic. It just wasn't. Um. I want to I want to I wanna throw this in. Not that there is ever, regardless of the level or lack of 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 monetary uh, uh, wherewithal to handle the care of a child. There's never a justifiable reason to murder a child. But the reality is that none of the people that drove there were driving in broken down, dilapidated vehicles. I mean, they all had the means to get there, uh, to get there early. The doctor wouldn't show up while they were there at seven thirty. The doctor is not going to even show up till ten o'clock, or or later. They're going to be waiting there while the doc takes his time in getting there. And so, I was blown away by that. I was shocked by the mothers who were there with their daughters. So, so this isn't this 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 thing where they don't know what they're doing. They're un they're they're unsure about what's happening. Mothers were dropping off their daughters. How do I know this? Well, I called out to one of them. I called out to a mom and I said, Mom, don't bring your daughter here to murder your grandchild today. Don't bring your daughter here to murder your grandchild today. You know what she did? She she flipped me off. She gave me the bird. She flipped me off. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was in her right state of mind. She knew exactly what she was doing. And she walked into... clinic I then encouraged her to repent that she didn't have to there was no reason for that child to die today that Christ had died for the sins of the world Christ had died to cover sin and that they didn't need to murder their child in an effort to cover the sin share that with them and ask them to turn to Christ and live as they walked straight into the abortion clinic I, I'm, I'm constantly reminded another thing I wrote down, I'm constantly reminded of of the fact that that they're there, some of them are there, maybe they're you know maybe they they're hiding their they're hiding their shame in their bravado, right They're flipping us off, they're cursing at us, they're swearing, and the reality is that that they're shameful. We, we often I often remind them i constantly remind them of the fact that I'm not there to judge them, but rather to help them. My point in being there is not to judge them. It's not to condemn them. It's out of love. In fact, I often share with them while I'm there that God loved and cared about them so much that he got me out of bed from across town to be there to stand in front of an abortion clinic in an effort to plead for the life of their child. God loved them enough to send his son to die on a cross to cover their sin so that they wouldn't have to cover their sin by the murder of their of their child. God loves them and cares for them, but desires for them to turn from this wicked evil that they're about to enact upon a child. That's what I that's what I'm sharing with them. It's not an effort to judge. It's an effort to 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 try to get them to stop for just a moment. And think about the help that's being offered to them. I I oftentimes I'll leverage the issue of race in that space uh, because those who are coming, especially blacks who are coming there, 33%, remember, 33% of abortions are, while blacks represent 11, 12% of the population, right? Um, Mother, father, the we represent 30, somewhere between the neighborhood of 30 to 33% of the abortions that are taking place. So I'll often, I'll often ask, there was a young lady who drove into the abortion clinic and I remembered saying to her, black lives do matter and they matter most when you're about to murder your child. Don't murder that black baby in your womb. As she laughed and drove into the parking lot of the abortion clinic. Now, if Black Lives Matter really wanted to have impact, this would be the place where they would be to ensure that more of these black children were actually born rather than murdered. I I, I even said to one young lady at one point, every time you hear the, the 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 refrain, Black Lives Matter, I want you to remember that on this day, if you choose to murder your child, that, that black life didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to you on that day. Now, God offers a, a, a wonderful gift in repentance and faith in Christ. He offers you the free gift of eternal life, but, but, but his grace is evidenced today by the fact that I'm standing in front of you telling you before you walk into this place, don't commit this evil act. Now, I, I'd say this with, with, uh, with every car that entered the parking lot, my heart grew Heavier. And on this Mother's Day weekend, at the location where we were at, there were at least 17 to 18 um, cars, uh, rather, 17 to 18 girls who went in to the abortion mill while I was there. About 17 to 18 who went in uh, to the abortion mill while I was there. Now, these girls knew exactly what they were doing. Most of them flipped us off or ignored our pleas uh, to offer help, to offer assistance uh to offer free medical care, a place to stay, we offer them everything. I've got on 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 my phone. I could pick up the phone at a moment's notice and call numerous people at my church who if a young lady needed a place to stay, they would be more than happy to house them for their own safety, to put them up, to offer them everything up into through adoption. They would adopt these children. So there's never a reason to, to abort. That child, the abortion clinic realizes. This is another point. The abortion clinic realizes that that when you're out there, you're effective. How do I know that? I know that because they play music to drown out our pleas to these women. They play loud music, and and it was interesting. I was thinking as 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 Beyonce uh, Beyonce's song was blaring. I wondered if she knew that her her song has become a theme song at the abortion mill who runs the world girls who runs the world girls right it's a, it's a it's a refrain that where they're trying to draw these young ladies in to to be you know i i don't need anybody i run the world i i i mean it, it it's it's blasphemous as these women walk into this clinic to murder the child that are that are in their womb and we have about 30 seconds if that to try to keep someone from heading to the slaughter. What do I mean by heading to the slaughter? Well Proverbs twenty four eleven says this. It says, Rescue those being led away to death, and restrain those stumbling toward the slaughter. I could I could read to you Matthew Henry's commentary, one of my favorites uh on this. It says this uh in um, for Proverbs twenty four eleven. It says, If a man knows that his neighbor is in danger, Uh, By any unjust proceeding, he is bound to do all in his power to deliver him. Uh, And what is it to suffer immortal souls to perish when our persuasions and example may be the means of preventing it? Right now now here. What what uh, what's being talked about is is trying to save someone's someone from uh, from from their soul heading into hell. Right. But Matthew Henry says, man, we have an obligation to keep them from that danger. We're bound to do so, uh, to deliver them, to do all within our power to see them delivered. And so that's, again, what what we're efforting to do out in front of those abortion clinics, to keep them, to restrain them from stumbling toward the slaughter. This effort, I recognize, requires tremendous prayer. Uh, It's always empowering to see 10 or 20 or 30 people at the abortion clinic especially when there 's a rally it 's an environment where where uh where two uh, where two people are there and the numbers are there are are entering the dozens right it's it 's a challenging thing when when you 've got 20, 30, uh, 30 people there it 's awesome when you have rather twenty or thirty people there that are representing your your um, your position it 's difficult when there are two people there and more times than not that 's really what's happening there are two three, four people that are there. Uh, it's not one of those things where the, where a lot of people end up showing up to to do this kind of ministry And so I would just encourage you to be prayerful for those folks that you know That are going to the abortion mills Right as as witnessed by people like brian sims and other nameless people an abortion clinic is not always a safe environment for those advocating For life. So I would just encourage you to keep those folks in mind uh, most of them, not many of them do this kind of ministry for glory or for fame. And most have a real heart to see someone turn from sin uh, and, and give their life to Christ and to see their them turn from child sacrifice. I, I wanted to share with you, as if I can, just a brief story uh, about something that happened. Uh, gosh, it's had to be, so it's been about five months since I've been there. So maybe it was seven months ago. It's was, it was probably seven months ago. Uh, when I went out to the abortion clinic, unfortunately, this Mother's Day we were we weren't able to see anybody turn. All the all the ladies actually went in and uh, headed in. And again, I'm often asked the same question: you know, is what you're doing really effective? In the same way that I was asked about that when I do street evangelism. That's the big question: is what you're doing really effective? And the answer to that is. I would answer the same way that I did with regard to street evangelism. It's effective in that I'm being obedient to the word of God. I'm loving my neighbor, even my unborn neighbor, as I love myself, right? I'm not being silent for those who can't speak up. I'm holding back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. All of those things that I'm trying to do in an effort to be obedient, Right? I value human life And so that's what that looks like That's what I'm engaged in doing So you go out to these places And and maybe more times than not You don't have a quote unquote save But your hope is that maybe God would By the proclamation of the gospel Would use his word in some way As a seed Sown in the heart of someone To see them To see their lives Change to see their lives turn around, to see them repent of their sin and place full of faith in Christ. That's always our hope when we go out into these spaces in the culture and present the truth of the gospel. But every once in a while, you do see someone turn. And I remember being there when that happened. I remember there's been a number of times when I've seen this happen, time and time again. But this last instance was one <clears throat> that I was able to actually capture on video uh, with this young lady that was her and her father who were coming to the abortion clinic and he you could tell by the look on his face he did not want to be there he was not happy about being there all she could say was that she knew she needed this thing to happen and I encouraged them to go away from this place she would eventually walk inside ignore my pleas the escorts would race to her in an effort to keep me from talking to her or dissuading her Because, and I told this young lady You've got to realize, I'm offering you a place to stay if you need it. Resources, money, uh, clothes for your baby, free medical care, and, and, and adoption if necessary. I, I, I want nothing from you. I am offering everything to you. This escort who's come up to you sees you as a part of her paycheck So she's extracting from you, not only your child to the point of death, but she also sees you as a means to feed her family. I want nothing from you. She desires everything from you. And you're listening to her rather than listening to what I'm telling you. She's a black female, so I definitely leverage the fact that that this black life does matter if we're going to use the issue of of color, of ethnicity, and that, that rings or resonates with you, this black life does matter, and you should not abort it to death. That didn't seem to work. Her and her father would eventually walk into the abortion clinic. Well, on that day, I had myself, my daughter, and my sons with me, both sons and my daughter with me, and I just told them, hey, just begin praying for her. She was just another person who had gone into the clinic Heart, your heart sinks every time that door shuts every time you it's a big steel door it reminds me when I go to jail ministry and you hear the you hear the the jail doors slam this this door to the abortion clinic is that kind of heavy steel that when it shuts you hear it slam it reverberates so every time I hear that door slam I just you know just ah uh, you get that feeling on the inside of you where you're like ah I hate that happened And uh, and you just begin to pray. So we did. We began to pray. I had my my Bible with me. And so I just began reading. I think it was from John chapter 1. I don't even remember. I just remember reading aloud in the hope that maybe my voice was loud enough to carry into the interior of the abortion clinic. Well, sure enough, after about five minutes, which seemed like an hour, this young lady and her dad walk out of the abortion clinic. And their faces looked different. I I have no idea what happened specifically. But I do know that the power of God had to hit her heart hard. Because when she came out, she looked different. The very countenance on her face was different. She went in determined to do something. She came out with a lightness to her face, with a brightness to, to her disposition, I asked her to come over to where I was And I offered her some free literature That would help her get free medical care and, and, and anything else that she would need I gave her my wife's cell phone number I introduced her to my children And said you know we're all here we, We're not here to judge you We're here to love you uh, We're here because we care We're here because of what Christ has done for us Shared with her the message of the gospel Gave her a gospel tract um, just encouraged her uh, and told her never to come back to this place, that we would be here uh, thereafter to ensure that she never came back to this place. Well, her and her dad would get in the car uh, that they came in and eventually would leave that place. Now, I have no no record of, of what took place thereafter. She never did call. Uh, my only hope is that by God's grace and sovereignty that she did not abort her child, but I will tell you that, that man, that was an incredible, incredible day. And if I had to be out there three months, six months, nine months, one year, two years, three years in an effort to see one life saved, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. I would do it again. My hope is that, that, that you would too it's so so worth it so if ever anybody asks me man is is that really effective is it worth your time man absolutely it is absolutely it is